Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Unruffled ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. There's nothing like being totally engrossed in a good mystery or thriller. Audible has thousands of immersive audiobook titles to spark your imagination and get your heart thumping. Since it's summer, you might want to check out The Vacation Rental. Very well told and very unsettling. You won't want to turn it off. And since this is a parenting podcast, I should also mention that audiobooks are a wonderfully enriching experience for children because they aren't passive entertainment like other kids' media. They engage your child's imagination and can nurture both listening and language skills. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash unruffled or text unruffled to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. That's audible.com slash unruffled or text unruffled to 500-500 today. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected. After investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or tmobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Hi, this is Janet Lansbury. Welcome to Unruffled. Today, I'm happy to introduce you to Dr. Jean Cheng. She's a clinical psychologist whose passion has been to help free her clients from the inner prisons that prevent them from living life to the fullest. Dr. Chen works extensively with trauma survivors, and she's particularly interested in the childhood wounds, major and minor, that can unknowingly hinder our goals as parents. Our children's behaviors can bring these wounds to our awareness for the very first time. Dr. Chen's insights, they've really struck a chord with me. And no matter your background, I believe you'll find her perspective enlightening and healing. Welcome, Jean. I'm so happy you could be here. Thanks so much for having me, Janet. It's it's really great to, to be here on this podcast with you. I love this podcast, so very excited to be here. Thank you. Well, I've been following you, your work for a while now, and I'm fascinated by the topic you focus on, both for all the parents that I work with and for myself personally. Uh, I just find it a really interesting, an interesting experience that, as you point out in your work, often comes along with parenting, that sometimes we don't even realize that we have childhood wounds or traumas until we become parents. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah. Well, I think when people become parents or when they're preparing to become a parent, most people have some knowledge of what they're going to expect. A new chapter, which means a chapter of sleepless nights, a chapter of exhaustion, of not having the same privileges that they used to because now they're responsible for another being. So they, they come into parenting with that knowledge and understanding. But I think a lot of us don't realize and are not prepared for this inner landscape of uh, feelings and struggles that can also come up when we actually become parents. And I would say that that, that is usually our childhood wounds, our unresolved childhood wounds will also actually resurface as we enter into this new chapter. 
and it will intermingle as we're trying to move forward in this new chapter, and it will make everything seem quite different from exactly how we thought it was going to be. For myself, I was very taken aback when that process happened. I did not expect to struggle uh, as intensely as I did. I did not expect to have these feelings, these impulses surface for me when I first became a parent. And when this happens, myself included, it can lead us to inaccurately interpret what's going on. Because if we don't know that our childhood wounds can resurface when we become parents, when it does happen, we can think that we are being a bad parent, that we're not cut out to be a parent, that there's something fundamentally wrong with us because how can I love this child so much and yet I'm, I'm struggling so much with this child. And so we can misattribute that we are not meant to be a parent when actually these feelings are not so much a reflection of how we are or who we are as parents, but they are actually more a reflection of who we were as children or, or rather what we had to experience as children. And I just feel like it would have been so much more helpful when I first became a parent if I knew that this process could happen because then I would have a bit more compassion on myself. But also if it had happened, it will just give me something to expect. I mean, with children, right? Like when you tell them what to expect, oh, later on when we go home, this is what we're going to do. It helps them to regulate themselves better when they kind of know what to expect. And I think it's the same thing here when we start on a new chapter, when we have an idea of what's coming up it can help us to regulate ourselves and it also can help us to at least know, okay, so what resources then can I reach out to when this actually does happen? Also, I think it normalizes it for us. So, you know, we're still might be taken aback and surprised that that we can't just follow the directions the way we want to be as a parent, that somehow we just can't seem to do it and it's not working for us. But if we know, as you say, going in, uh, the way that we tell children, or that I recommend telling children when there's going to be a new sibling, let's say, that they might love the baby, but they might also not like the baby sometimes and wish the baby wasn't there and feel angry and feel scared and all of those things. And it just helps, I think, us to feel less alone in our feelings when we know, oh, other people feel like this. And it's not just me. I mean, I know that when I became a new parent, I found it overwhelming. And it seemed to me like everybody else was doing just fine. It felt like it's just me. Like, what's the matter with me? Other people do this and I can't. Is this why you focused your work as a clinical psychologist on healing from childhood trauma? Because of your own experience or were you already doing that work? When I first became a clinical psychologist, I wasn't focused on this area. We kind of had to do everything, but my passion is definitely informed by what I have been through in my own life. So yes, I would say this is why a lot of my writings, my areas of interest is in trauma because of my own experience. I mean, I'm a therapist and I'm also a trauma survivor. So yeah, I would say that that's what kind of informs my passion and my interest. Is there a pattern for how this shows up for us or is it just different for every person? Maybe there's a bit of both, but how do people usually recognize this? If they weren't already aware that they had trauma in childhood, how does it usually come up first? Is there a way or is it always different for everybody? So it, it's definitely a bit of both. How it surfaces and what triggers us will probably differ from person to person because, I mean, our wounds will be in different areas. 
but there is general set of pattern of how it can surface. So usually looking more at how your body is responding to an event gives us a clue. So for example, my child says no, this can be quite a common area of trigger for parents when the child starts to assert themselves and say no. For someone who does not have a wound in this area, they might experience this as a totally non-event. It's like, oh, my child's saying no. Yeah, sure. No. Okay. No problems. And their bodies are very calm. Their bodies are very regulated. There's nothing that changes in their physiology. On the other hand, parents who might have a wound in this area, when the child starts to say no, even if their brains know that, well, no is a very normal part of our development and it happens around two years old and it's important for a child to go through this because that's the time that a child is individuating from the parent. The the child is claiming their sense of who they are. The, The child is saying, I'm separate from you, so I'm practicing and getting in touch with that experience of being a separate individual being from from you, even though they might know this, they might still feel a strong response to this. Or they might feel maybe not so strong, but their body gets tense. Um, So our bodies are a very good clue. There's something here to look at. Sometimes it could even be, we could feel it like stomach aches, or sometimes we might notice that we even feel quite checked out. So any kind of shift in our physiology it gives us a sense that there might be something here to look at. The emphasis is on our bodies and not so much our brains because our wounds are actually kept in our bodies, not in our brains. When we are wounded in these areas, our brains are very good at actually reorganizing itself to help us to survive that as best as possible. It can forget these wounds that we have been through as a way to help us to experience less pain because if we're constantly remembering these wounds, especially as children, we're going to feel a lot of pain throughout childhood. So when the brain actually might forget it or minimize it or um, get us to focus on other things, it actually helps us to cope better and to continue to live our lives. Right. That's adaptive. Exactly. Which is why I say that our, our brains are great at helping us survive and our brains are not going to be the best place for us to get clues as to where our wounds are. Our bodies will. Our bodies hold our emotions Uh, our bodies are the ones that will hold our impulses. So that's one place to look at first. And sometimes we might not even be attuned to looking at our bodies because we're so used to, we're so used to just focusing on other people or just thinking as opposed to checking in with our bodies. Right. And like compartmentalizing, like, oh, I have a headache, but that has nothing to do with me being incredibly anxious right now or tense. It's just that I have a headache or I have a stomach ache, but it's not because, you know, I'm feeling a lot of fear inside and uneasy. It's, it's just a, a stomach ache. I should take some Tums, you know? Exactly. Our brains are so good at explaining it away. But if there are certain situations or certain themes that we notice our bodies keep having a reaction to, so for example, our child saying no, that's the time that our bodies frequently get tense. Then we have an idea that, okay, there is a theme here there is a wound in this area. Whenever we feel a reaction that keeps coming up for us and a reaction sometimes that is quite different from our values and the kind of parents that we want to be, that is a clue from our bodies to tell us, please pay attention. There's something here that is tender. There is something here that our child is kind of poking and prodding on. Not intentionally, of course, but just in them being who they are They are touching these tender spots, just like how we might not know that we have cavities in our mouths. 
and the dentist starts to check and suddenly they go, do you feel that? And it's like, ouch, that really hurt. I had no idea that, you know, I had a cavity there. Same thing with our children. They can touch, they can prod without us realizing that there's a wound there until we kind of go, ooh, ow, or Ugh, I don't feel comfortable with that. Or sometimes it can come out in bigger reactions, like we end up yelling. And that gives us a clue that there's something here to pay attention to. And just very simplistically, I guess, if let's say it's in response to a child, you know, acting in a defiant manner or saying no, which is usually a, a toddler, really, really common. And as you said, really, really healthy. Would the wound tend to be that when we were rebellious or tried to resist our primary caregivers, our parents, that we were punished, yelled at, abandoned, like disconnected from emotionally. Is that's the sort of link that you look at or is it much more complicated than that? And I'm oversimplifying it. That, that is exactly what uh, probably could have happened. Um, of course, for everybody, it could be a little bit different. But if a child is saying no, and we notice that we are having strong reactions or we're getting a bit uncomfortable with that, it is very likely that when we were at that age and we were trying to assert ourselves, we were probably shamed. We were probably told, like, don't be a bad child. Stop being disobedient. Stop throwing a tantrum. I know better than you. I'm your parent. And what is happening here when a child is actually going through a very natural and beautiful process of being a separate being is the parent is actually disconnecting themselves from the child. When we shame a child, when we get angry with our child for speaking up like that, and we might then not talk to the child for a while, or we just lose connection with our child, then the child experiences disconnection. And this connection to a child, basically disconnection from their caregivers, for a child, it's a very, very terrifying experience. I, I don't think as adults we can understand how terrifying it is because, I mean, if we think about disconnecting from important people in our lives, let's just say our spouses or even our parents right now as an adult, um, it could be painful, it could be sad, it can be uncomfortable, but we can still survive, we can still function, we can still go to work maybe, we can still try to get by. But for a child to be disconnected from their parent is quite life or death. I mean, just imagine a five-year-old not having their parent around or a, a one-year-old even not having their parent around. It's a very frightening experience because they are so heavily dependent on their parent at that age. So for a parent then to disconnect, it's a very threatening experience for a child. Their survival instincts will just kick in. And this frightening experience, this terrifying experience will form that wound. It's like, the body will be then learning and the brain will be learning as well that, okay, when I do this, when I do that, I experience this pain or this, this frightening experience of my parents disconnecting from me. So now I need to adapt to this. So we, we have these wounds and we learn to adapt so that we reduce uh, experiencing more of such wounds. And then when our child does this behavior, it just opens up that wound and we tap into all that terror that we, we felt. So we're acting out of that, which could be rage or anger comes out of terror sometimes, or, you know, like you said, shutting down, turning away, you know, icing our child or that kind of disconnection that's maybe not as, you know, aggressive seeming, but it's still, as you said, very terrifying to a child because... To a young child, yes. They're being rejected and they need us for survival. So 
using this example, how would you help a parent heal this kind of wound? Because, you know, the parent only cares, right? Because it's getting in their way. It's not letting them be the parent that they really want to be. You know, none of us really, we don't look at things until it's really getting in our way, right? I mean, there's a lot of things going on with us all the time that we don't need to figure out because we're not coming up against them. I mean, for me, I, I realized a lot through, um, not even so much through my children, maybe in the beginning with that first baby, but later on, I realized I, I went through a period of like insomnia and somebody was also doing some body work on me where some feelings came out. And then I had this insomnia that I couldn't sleep. And so it was important to me to figure that out mm. and heal that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do parents, where do we go from there after we, we see something's a problem and, hey, why is this happening? I want to be this kind of parent and I end up falling into this parent I don't want to be with my child. So we reach out to you <laughs> and what happens? <laughs> so having somebody that we can journey with would be incredibly helpful just to provide that safe space in the presence of somebody else to, to be curious about this and to help us to be more compassionate to ourselves. But with or without a therapist, because um, not everybody has the privilege to actually go to therapy, I'll say that when we, when we notice that this is happening, well, first, it's helpful for us to notice, okay, it tends to happen, for example, when my child says no to me. This triggers a very big reaction for me. And while my brain has a lot of things to say about it and tell me that it's not a big deal, I'm going to just take this a bit more seriously for now because my body seems to be thinking it's a big deal. It's, it's kind of a bit like for us as parents to our children, when they are melting down about not having you know, strawberry ice cream and we give them vanilla ice cream instead, to our brains as adults, it's like, come on, it's just ice cream. It's not a big deal. But to the child, it is a very big deal. It's, it's not what they wanted. So in order to help them through that, we need to actually connect with their unique experience of it and how it is a big deal for them. And it's the same thing here. It might not be a big deal to our brains, but it's a very big deal to our bodies, to the wounds that we are carrying inside us. So being able to kind of go, okay, you know what? My brain says it's not a big deal. I get it. As an adult, it's not a big deal. But what if this is a big deal to a younger part of me that is currently being awakened or triggered by my child yelling no? As we allow ourselves to just be more present and not judge it, don't judge that experience. Just be a bit curious as to, okay, this is painful. It's uncomfortable here. Sometimes some memories of what we went through when we were younger can surface. Sometimes people don't get memories because of how well our brains have adapted. But we can at least be curious as to, well, how do I think you know, my, my parents actually responded to me when I used to say no? How am I right now as an adult? Am I comfortable saying no to other people? Am I comfortable saying no to my colleagues, my friends, my bosses, um, to different people in my life at the moment? Or actually... Is this an area that I'm also still struggling with? Uh, this gives us an idea as to, okay, so this, this is still a wound that's continuing to have its impact on me. And when we are more aware of that, then we can also start to connect with our bodies. And I, I might use the language of to connect with our inner child. Sometimes I like to think of it as children because these wounds happen when we were children. And it's just more helpful to think of it as a young child. And we might actually be able to even let our brains kind of settle down and just get in touch with 
that feeling, that wound that kind of go, okay, something here hurts. Uh, a bit like what you would do when you're talking to a young child as well. Something here hurts. Something about saying no is a very painful experience for you. And if you know more of your story, you could add on more information. Like, I- I'm so sorry that, you know, when you used to say no, you were shamed for that. And that was not right. I'm so sorry that you were not allowed to express and experience yourself as a different person from your parents. And just that attunement to your body, to your inner child, that could be healing. Sometimes memories don't surface, right? So all we have is just the sensation. All we have is just the struggle, or even sometimes people have sensations of feeling very trapped and they have no idea, why do I keep feeling trapped? I have no idea what this is all about. What attuning to that could look like would be, okay, something's happening in my body and I believe you. I believe you in a child or I believe you, my body. I believe you that there is something here that is very painful and very, very uncomfortable for you. I don't know what it is. I don't need to know the full details at the moment, but I believe there's something real here. Even that is going to give our bodies a sense of, okay, you're not going to shame and judge me. It's safe. We are safe inside our, ourselves. And, and that provides some form of relief that we experience in our bodies as well. But it's important to do it and to mean it. So when you say, I believe you, to try to mean it. And if you struggle because, you know, somehow your brain just keeps saying, this is, this is rubbish. Like, I shouldn't be going through this. Then I'll actually say in those situations, it would really be more helpful to actually have someone else to speak to about it. Someone else who can provide that safety for you. Right. When we're being triggered in the moment that it's happening can be helpful for us to actually ground ourselves by telling ourselves we are being triggered. Something from my past is being awakened. There is something tender here. There's a wound here that's been touched and therefore I'm feeling some hurt that's arising. I'm not crazy. I'm not a horrible parent. I'm just a parent who is parenting with my own history of wounds and I did not cause these wounds to happen. So just like how, you know, we believe there are no bad kids. Same here. None of us deserved our wounds and it's important to remind uh, ourselves of that just this action of saying, you know, I'm being triggered in the moment. There's something here being touched on. This helps us to actually take a step back so that we are not just reacting. Uh, If we don't hold ourselves as to, okay, this is what's happening, we might end up lashing out or doing something that goes against our values or, or, or something that we'll just regret later on. So when we can call this process out and just say to ourselves this, it can help us to at least take a step back, give ourselves a little bit of space this is what's happening. What do I want to do to help regulate myself? Could it be that maybe I want to take a few deep breaths? Could it be that I want to go and get a cold drink? Uh, maybe I want to start humming a song. These are things that we can do to regulate our bodies, our nervous systems in that moment so that we don't end up feeling like we're just stuck in the cycle of our wounds just keep resurfacing and then we have no choice but to act in these ways that are against our values because it can be very disempowering. Right. And of course, there will be times that we can't do this. No matter what, we will still end up lashing out at our child or reacting to them. I I think that later on, when we've calmed down and there's some space inside us, don't forget that we can also repair that. We can go back to the child and and revisit this and and do some repair work. So it's not like we're doomed with just passing on these, these wounds to our children. We can reduce that. We have the power to do that. 
Most of us think a lot about our family's future. That's part of the job, right? And I'm sure you've heard that annoying piece of advice that says, don't buy that latte, invest instead. Well, we went for it a couple of years ago and opened a Robinhood account. To be honest, my husband wanted to cut down on coffee anyway. But you know what? Whatever your goals are, Robinhood could help your family build a better financial future. Investing a small amount now could make a big difference 30 years down the road. It's nice to be in the driver's seat and have autonomy when making investments, which is easy to do with Robinhood. Download the Robinhood app or visit Robinhood.com to start building a better financial future. That's Robinhood.com or download the app now to learn more. Of course, investing involves risk and loss of principal is possible. Returns are not guaranteed. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker dealer. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Just to be devil's advocate for a second, I can hear people thinking, well, uh, so isn't it sometimes that the kids are just really annoying and unpleasant? Is it never their quote, fault? Is it always my deal? Is it never just them? No, our kids can be really annoying. That's true. <laughs> but we are... We're the adults. We're the adults. We are the ones that have more choices and resources. So we are the ones that have to do the harder work. Part of me feels a bit sad hearing me say this because then it comes up to, yeah, but you know, our parents didn't do this for us. Some of our parents at least didn't do this for us. So it's, it's important to also just acknowledge that and grieve that. Right. So there's a grieving in that, you know, and then also I think acknowledging with that self-compassion, acknowledging, wow, what I'm doing is pretty much impossible and I'm still going to try it because I love my child that much and I, I want to also heal myself that much so that I can be the parent and person that I want to be. But yeah, it's a brave journey and it's, you know, it's it's not one that has an ending to it. While we're alive, <laughs> we're still going to be working on it, I feel. It's just a process. Yeah. But anybody that wants to take it on is already a hero in my my opinion. Absolutely. Yes. The uh, hero for breaking the cycle of passing down generational wounds. Yeah. One of the challenges I, I know, and I can relate to this myself, is that a lot of us had really wonderful parents in a lot of ways, like whatever their faults might have been, you know, it's so hard for us to blame our parents, I think, for anything. A lot of us, we take it on ourselves. We, you know, it's my thing. This is my problem. It wasn't to do with my parents. It was just me that I was bad in these ways, or I was wrong or had shameful feelings. And like, I love this quote that you shared on Instagram. One of the most common responses a therapist hears from clients when a wound is named in therapy is, it's not that big a deal. It's not as bad as what other people have gone through. I mean, that's how I felt about things I went through. I had a great relationship with my parents, but there were things. <laughs> and it took me, I mean, really a long time, <laughs> late into middle age, to even be open to seeing it, maybe because it wasn't so harsh as what some people have. But it was 
driving me anyway. You know, it was affecting me and it was not helping me in a lot of ways with boundaries with people, all of that stuff. Yeah. So anyway, I just, as you're talking, I'm thinking that for a lot of the people listening, they're probably thinking, oh, well, that's for people with serious issues. And I can't identify as someone with childhood wounds or childhood trauma. You know, that's a a reach for a lot of us, I think. But yet I still find myself, I keep yelling at my kids and I don't want to. Yeah. That's why I love about your work is giving permission to hey, there's all levels. Like this is a spectrum, just like everything else. And they all matter. You know, they're all getting in our way in some manner. So there's no shame in looking at it. You're not vilifying your parents. You're not making yourself a victim, feeling sorry for yourself. I love this other quote that you said, I'm feeling sorry for myself. And then you said, switch it to, I'm feeling compassion for myself. I think that's a really good shift in perspective in that. But yeah, it's like we don't deserve trauma therapy. Like it's my responsibility. I should have, you know, figured it out. I think there's a lot of people in that. Yes. In that realm. Yes, definitely. And I, I work with people who really struggle to consider the impact that their parents have had on them. And I would say that, well, if we're not ready to explore that, then maybe now's not the time. There's no need to force ourselves to move faster than, than we are ready for it because it can be very, very frightening for our younger parts that live inside us to actually explore these things. I will say with regards to the idea of, you know, maybe other people had more struggles in their lives than I did. Um, and so mine is not really that big a deal. So it doesn't really warrant me doing this kind of work. Well, with regards to that, I, I guess I would just say that it doesn't matter uh, what other people have been through. What matters is you and what are you going through? What are you struggling with? What kind of life would you like to have? Yeah. So if people find the word trauma or wounds a bit too much for them, then we don't use these terms because it can be, it can be very incongruent with how they are experiencing their own stories, right? Okay, we won't call it that because that's not your language for it. What is your language for it? Can we look at it more like what is the impact of certain actions that your parents had on you? Can we look at that instead? That might be a bit more digestible for some people to to then explore a little bit more of their stories as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Another quote of yours, part of healing your childhood wounds involves allowing yourself to grieve the loss of the ideal parents you never had. I guess that's the thing. It's like, there's no such thing as an ideal parent. So I think also in families, even each child has a different sensitivity to, you know, different things in the relationship with that parent. So it's not even about that our parents did something wrong necessarily at all. It's just the places where their wounds were you know, were passed down to us. Yes. And, you know, that's where we talk about cycle breaking and all that, I guess. It's just, do we want to break cycles or are we fine, you know, continuing these cycles? Maybe the cycles are mostly positive that we want to just pass down, or maybe they're coming up against, as you said, our values, the values we have now. Hey, I want to be this kind of parent and I want to be this kind of person. And it seems impossible for me. What's getting in my way? Yeah. I actually think that grieving is such an important part of this work because, I mean, children come into this world with their hearts open, right? It's so tender. It's so innocent. It's filled with so much uh, trust 
And then when they get wounded or when they thought that they will be held, but they weren't and they were shunned instead, or when they thought that coming to their parents who they so adore and who they so respect, wanting to share with them something that happened in school, but in the end, the parents are like, like, stop bothering me with that. Or like, that's not true. You're just, you know, making a big deal out of it. These things hurt and they leave a mark in us. And we, we need to grieve the fact that our parents are actually not perfect and that our parents have their own wounds as well. We actually do deserve love and we do deserve connection, preferably at every moment in time as children. But at the same time, our parents probably couldn't as well because of whatever limitations they're going through. Maybe they had a lot of children, they had a lot of stress, having to work a few jobs, or they, they're going through their own trauma. So that limits their um, energy levels, that limits their own uh, abilities to attend to us the way that they might even want to. And there is a gap between what I wanted and what I received. And it's okay to grieve that. Just like how we would say to a young child, like, you know, you want to stay at home my, my daughter doesn't like to go to school because she just loves to be at home with us. So you don't want to go to school because you just want to be at home. And it's okay to feel sad about that. It's okay to grieve that. And we can still move along. People think that when they grieve, they're making a very big deal out of it or that it's, it doesn't warrant grieving. But actually, I would say that grieving is just us attuning and connecting to ourselves and to the way life is sometimes, that life doesn't always give us what we want. Life can be heartbreaking and we can't change that aspect about life. We can't change what our parents have done to us. But what we can do, we can grieve that this is not what we wanted or this is not what we, we had hoped would happen. So grieving doesn't change the reality of what we've been through, but it changes how we relate to that. It changes how we relate to what has happened to us such that the impact then of those incidences can then be reduced in our bodies. Right, because even though it might take longer in some cases than others, but it, it's a forward-moving process, grief. It's the only real way forward, right, to a positive change. Yes, and sometimes we might end up grieving the same thing from different angles over and over again, or the same feeling keeps coming up. And that just means that there's just more here that we need to hold and more here we need to be with. There's more here that we need to feel and realize, oh, this really, really did hurt. And so I need to grieve that again. If we can grieve what's happened in the past, it helps us to then be more present to what's here right now. Uh, so it's not an unproductive process at all. Wow, this is really, really helpful. Are you specializing now in trauma or you work with people with all kinds of issues? I work with people with all kinds of issues, just that a lot of my clients come with some history of trauma whether or not they know it. But what people can do if they want to find out more about this kind of work, there's quite a lot of books that talk about this. So The Body um, Keeps the Score, is that one? Yep. Another one is, you know, Childhood Disrupted Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. That's a very helpful one. There is um, Running on Empty. Running on Empty by Joni's Webb. That one's related a lot to childhood neglect. Um, and I don't mean neglect in a way that is like, well, this is very, very severe neglect, but just misattunements. For example, not being able to say no, not being able to go through that developmental process, that's a neglect of that particular natural process we should have experienced. So that, that book's very helpful as well. And then we have your Instagram page, which is Jean, J-E-A-N, psychologist. One word. And you can contact Dr. Jean Chang through her email address, Dr. Jean, J-E-A-N-C-H-E-N-G at gmail.com. 
but yeah, do follow her Instagram page. I find it just inspiring and wonderful reminders. That in itself has a healing effect on my day. So that's why I wanted you on. That means so much to me. Thank you so much, Janet. Well, thank you so much for being here and, and for sharing all your wisdom with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you it. so much for having me. It's been, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Please check out some of the other podcasts on my website, JanetLansbury.com. There are many of them and they're all indexed by subject and category. So you should be able to find whatever topic you might be interested in. And both of my books are available in paperback at Amazon, No Bad Kids, Toddler Discipline Without Shame, and Elevating Child Care, A Guide to Respectful Parenting. You can get them in ebook at Amazon, Apple, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com, and in audio at audible.com. Actually, you can get a free audio copy of either book at Audible by following the link in the liner notes of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening and all your kind support. We can do this. If you like Unruffled, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.